So right before Revelation is Jude, right before Jude is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're looking at 2nd John. I think many of you know we started just a few weeks ago a series preaching on this little book, 2nd John. And I'd like us to read, it's only one chapter long, verse number 4. 2nd John, verse number 4. You would uh, read that together with me. Let's read that out loud. Verse number four. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's here. And Lord, we trust that you will help us to understand what was written so many years ago. May it make sense to us. May it challenge us in our Christian life. Lord, if there's one here that's never trusted you as their Savior, that's where it all begins. That's their first decision. But Lord, after that, uh, what we're looking at this morning has a great bearing on the rest of their life. Help us fill me with your Spirit. Direct each word that it said. May it please you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, again, we just started this little epistle of 2 John. We know that the writer was the Apostle John. We know that he wrote it much later in his life. In fact, he is likely 80 years or older when John wrote the second epistle. Again, we know it's just one chapter long. We know the date is about 90 AD. And uh, first week, a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, who this letter was written to. Look there at verse number one the elder unto the elect lady and her children. So it was written to a woman, and that's strange. Not too many books in our Bible were written to a woman. And yet this was, we know that uh, we're not given her name, we're not given the city that she lives in. But John wrote to this woman, and he commended her for a number of things. First of all, that she was saved. He commended her for that. He commended her because she had earned uh, the title lady called her a lady. Not only that, but uh, she was loved by many, and she accepted correction. That's what we looked at the first week. And then last week, we noticed that there was a word that showed up five times in the first four verses, and that word was truth. So we had to look at that subject of the pathway of truth. Say, preacher, what is it that we're looking at today? Well, today we're in verse 4, 5, and 6. And there's a word that's repeated three times in these verses. Look at verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Then look there in verse number 6. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Three times in just those two verses, John is talking about walking. And uh, do you know that those words walk and walking 413 times in the Bible? So the Bible has much to say about walking. Now, you know that that word walk, it's, it's a means to get from point A to point B. That word walking is done by traveling on foot. That word walking is moving over surface by taking steps. It's slower than running. We know that that word walking is a statement of making progress. Well, when the Bible talks about walking, it's talking about it in a spiritual sense. 
And the Bible says that if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, from that point forward, you have begun your Christian walk. And it ought to be a forward walk. It ought to be a progressive walk. And uh, woe be to the Christian that isn't walking, that isn't growing, that isn't progressing, uh, that's stagnant in their walk, and double woe to the Christian that's going backwards. We often call that uh, backsliding. But uh, again, much of the Bible talks about the importance of our Christian walk. I, I could give you 413 verses. I won't do that to you. But let me give you maybe a number of verses that would be familiar and talk about this walk. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So as we are walking in this Christian life, we are trusting that God is going to direct our steps. I think of uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It talks about them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. Uh, one more, John chapter 6 and verse 66. This is a sad verse. The Bible says Jesus had just preached all day to a number of his followers. And then in John 6 and verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So again, this word walk, it's talking about once you're saved, you are going forward, you're making progress you're growing, and that's what John is writing to this woman about. Look at it again there in 2 John and verse number 4. 2 John, verse 4, John says, I rejoice greatly. So something about this woman and her family brought John great joy. What was it? Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. John was thrilled about it. Uh, do you know, at this time in John's life, it seems that he was in a traveling ministry. We know that, uh, look there again at verse number one, John called himself the elder. Sometimes in the Bible, that word elder just means older. That's sometimes what it means. But sometimes it means a respected leader within a church. John was both of those, but John, as a respected leader in his church, he was traveling from church to church. He was preaching the gospel, preaching the scriptures, preaching the truth. And it seems that in his traveling, John had come to the church where this woman was a part of that church. And he was really impressed with her Christian life. And he was overjoyed with her Christian testimony. Not only was he overjoyed with her testimony and her walk, but look again at verse 4. 2 John chapter 1 and verse 4, John writes, I rejoice greatly that I've found of thy children walking in truth. So not only did she have an admirable Christian walk, but so did her children. And John writes later, after he leaves that church, he writes back to this woman, and he said, I'm so impressed with you, and I'm so impressed with your children that you, your family, 
has a walk with God. We know that John's in heaven now. I wonder, though, if John came to this church. And wonder if he was here for a few days, a week of meetings. I wonder if John after would write back to you or write back to me and say the same thing that he said to this woman. Again, I say to you, he was, had some kind of a traveling capacity. He traveled from church to church. as preacher, uh, how do you get that? Look at verse 12. Second John, verse 12, John says to this woman, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So he'd already visited her church before, and he was so impressed with her walk, he was so impressed with her children's walk, but he said, you know, I'm going to come back to that church again soon. And he said, I don't want to write some things. I want to say them face to face. And look there in verse number 13. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. So not only did this woman and her children, not only did they have a good Christian walk in the church that they attended, but it seems that this woman had a sister. And that sister and her children were in another church. And John had been to that church, and John had been to her sister's church. And when he was there, he noticed her walk. And that sister said, uh, Brother John, would you please send greetings to my... He had a traveling ministry. And again, he noticed this unnamed woman, and he was impressed with her walk. Again, the word walk, the word walking... 413 times in the Bible. And so we're, I'm going to preach on this title, A Christian's Walk. And uh, we're not going to limit ourselves here to 2 John because it's found in so many places. And I trust this, uh, these verses will encourage you in your walk. Let's start there with John chapter number 1. So not the epistle of John, now the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look there in John chapter 1. Pastor, what can we learn from the Bible about a Christian's walk? John chapter number 1. John chapter 1, look there in verse number 36. You read verse 36 and verse 37. John chapter 1, verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he, that's John the Baptist, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him, John the Baptist, speak, and they followed Jesus. Pastor, what's going on? John chapter 1, we know that John the Baptist is preaching. Back there in John 1, verse number 6. John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So that's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is there on the shoreline of the Jordan River. And as John is preaching, multitudes of people are coming to hear John preach. And as John is preaching, he's preaching about a coming Messiah. The Messiah had not yet revealed himself to Israel at this time. So John is preaching that there is a promised Messiah that is coming. And that promised Messiah is, can, can make a difference, a change in your heart, your life. Well, as John is preaching that, look there in John 1.35 says again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples 
And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John is preaching, and he's preaching day after day after day, and multitudes are coming to hear John preach. And here in verse 36, as John is preaching, he notices there Jesus Christ. That is the Messiah. He notices Jesus Christ, and look what he says to the crowd about Jesus, verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Israel was familiar with a four-legged lamb. Throughout the Old Testament, God had set up a, a method by which men's sins could be remitted. They could be covered. They could be dealt with. And you know what? We've been looking there in Exodus. But they had to bring an animal sacrifice. Many times it was a lamb. And they had to slay their lamb and put that lamb on that offering. And that lamb and the shed blood of that lamb atone for their sins in the Old Testament. So this nation of Israel who was listening to John the Baptist preach, they were very familiar with lambs that were slain for the sins of the people. But now John, this day, verse 36, he notices Jesus walking on that shore. And John says, behold the Lamb of God. John only said that in verse 29. Look there and again in verse number 36. John, uh, sorry, he said it first in verse 29. Let's back up there. John 1, 29, I'm sorry. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So John, when he notices Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, they, they understood a four-legged lamb. Now John is port, uh, pointing at a two-legged man. And John is saying, That is the Lamb of God right there. Well, once John said that, look there in verse number 37. John chapter 1 and verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Could I suggest to you that that was the beginning of their Christian walk? You say, Pastor, how do you get that? Well, look again at John 1, 36. And looking unto Jesus as he walked. So Jesus is walking down that shoreline, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two men that were in earshot of what John said, the Bible says in verse number 37 that those two began to follow Jesus. Now, this is pretty simple logic, but if Jesus is walking, and if those two are following Jesus, those two now have begun themselves walking. How many does that make sense to You'd have to be asleep not to catch that one. Their Christian walk began when they accepted Jesus. You and I that are saved, before we trusted Christ as our Savior, we had no walk with Christ. We might have heard about Christ. We might have known some information about Christ. But just as these two who that day heard about Christ, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, 
those two not only heard those details, but they each made a personal choice that they would follow Jesus Christ. That began their Christian walk. If you're taking notes this morning, again, we're looking at the subject of a Christian's walk. Uh, the first thing is what precedes a Christian's walk. And before your Christian walk ever begins, you have to not only believe, but you have to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now think about it. There were many that heard John the Baptist say those words, Behold the Lamb of God. There were many that heard when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. But all that they did was hear it. Those words really landed on deaf ears to so many that day, because they didn't do anything about that information that Jesus was the Lamb of God. But not these two. These two said, I need to respond to that truth. I need to respond to the truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God. They showed they responded by turning on their feet and following Christ. Before you can ever have a Christian walk, it's going to take more than just hearing what Jesus has done for the sins of the world. It's going to require for you to personally receive, to personally believe. That's when a Christian's walk begins. So if you're here and you've never gotten saved, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you haven't yet begun your Christian walk. I would imagine that all of us didn't get saved that first day. I imagine that many of us, the first time that we heard about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sins of the world, there's probably some here, the first time they heard, they balked at it. They said, oh, don't, get that away from me. Maybe it was a pastor in church that preached it. And in your heart, you said, this is not for me. Maybe it was some Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was some Christian that knocked on your door. Maybe it was a Christian that gave you a gospel tract. Maybe it was someone held up a scripture sign. It could be that many of us, the very first time that we heard the gospel, we heard it, but it didn't go any further from there. If that's true, when you heard it, it's not just the hearing of it that begins your Christian walk. It's the receiving of it. I was at this Bible conference in Knoxville, and that Wednesday lunchtime, a man walked up to me, and he introduced himself. He was from Brother Knox's church. He and his family drove to the church uh, in Knoxville for the meeting. And I said, Brother, I've never met you before. Tell me about yourself. I think he was in his mid-40s, if I remember correctly. And he said, you know what? He said, I can remember the first time that I heard the gospel. He said, I was a Roman Catholic, and uh, he said, I, I'm guessing somebody in the school there had heard the gospel, they had gotten saved, and they wanted to share the truth that Jesus saves with me. So he said, uh, that friend sat me down. I was eight. He couldn't have been much more than eight, he said. But he said, he sat me down and explained the whole gospel story to me, that Jesus died to pay for my sins, I said, wow, at eight, what'd you do? He said, I didn't receive it. He said, it was just information to me. 
He said, I decided at eight that was not for me. Do you know that he went the next 30-some years of his life and he wasn't saved? He had a chance to begin his Christian walk at eight if he had just trusted Christ as his Savior. But he said, Brother Carlson, he said, 30-some years passed. A lot of time passed. A lot of heartache came my way. He said, what a different life I could have had if I had just trusted Christ at eight. Now, he said, I'm saved now. And he said, I'm trying to live for God and serve God now. He said, I'm faithful in church now. He said, I'm trying to get the gospel to others not yet saved now. He said, I'm trying to do for others what somebody tried to do for me at eight, and I rejected it. We're looking this morning at a Christian's walk, and I say to you, uh, what, first, what precedes a Christian's walk? And that's one must believe and one must receive Christ as their Savior. Could I give you a second thing? So again, if you're saved, you've already begun that walk. I wonder if you've taken even a step yet. <laughs> you're on the road. How far have you walked? Can I give you a second thing about this walk? You're going to have to hunt for this book, but the book of Amos. Don't give up. It's worth trying. And, and you have an index in the front of the Bible to help you, but if you find Isaiah, that's a big book. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, keep going. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, keep going. Hosea, Joel, Amos. So it's a little book near the end of the Old Testament. Amos chapter number 3, and I know the verse is probably familiar to some, but I want you to see it, because it could help you in your Christian's walk. Amos chapter number 3 and verse number 3. The Bible says there, can two walk together, is our word walk, again, Amos 3 and verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I don't know if you've ever tried to walk with somebody and you were in total disagreement with them. <laughs> there wasn't a statement you could say that they didn't argue with. There wasn't a good news word, uh, a good word of encouragement you'd give them that they wouldn't just push it back in your face. You know what happens when you try to walk with somebody and you're just not in agreement about anything? It's just a matter of time before, listen, I'll see you. I'm going another way. Amos gives us a reason for why many times, though a Christian has begun their Christian walk, they don't go very far in that Christian walk. Look again at verse number 3. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. The Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And you know, if you or I are in agreement with Jesus and what he's telling us, we can walk a long way with the Lord if we will agree with the Lord. But, you know, if the Lord is telling us some things to do, and no, Lord, I'm not about to do it. No, no, God, forget it. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to walk very far. If you're taking notes, the second thing that have you learned about a Christian's walk, first we have what precedes a Christian's walk. They have to believe and receive Christ. Secondly, what prevents a Christian walk. Pastor, I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. But preacher, if I'm honest, I've not gone too far in my Christian walk. Why? 
Well, the Bible says why. Amos said, can two walk together except they be agreed? And as you walk, it's just wise as you and I walk with the Lord that we be all ears. <laughs> and we be little more. You ever been with somebody that really has no experience in what they're talking about? But they just can't stop, stop talking. And folks, if, if, if you're walking with another Christian, you might have a lot to contribute in the conversation. But if you're walking with the Lord, uh, it might be best just to, and just to listen. But as we're walking with the Lord, he's going to begin to give instructions. He's going to say, this is how to do it. You need to start it now. He's going to say, now, this thing, I know that you're busy with it, but it's not helping your Christian walk. I think you should stop. And as we walk with the Lord, he's going to begin to give us instructions in our life. Are you listening? Are you heeding? And here it says in Amos chapter 3, it really gives us the reason of what prevents a Christian's walk. And what prevents is a disobedience somewhere between a man and what God says. Again, Amos 3 and verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed. You know, the Lord has all the help that you and I could ever need. But you've got to listen to it. You ever had someone come to you for advice and they're not really asking advice? They just want you to rubber stamp what they've already decided to do? It's hard to help somebody that's already decided what they want to do. And just like that, as we walk with the Lord, it's easy to say, you know, I talked to God about this. Wait, wait. You talked to God about this? Did you ask God what God wanted? Or did you tell God what you wanted to do? And then you plugged your ears in case he had some correction for it. A lot of Christians like that. And so here Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Preacher, what is it that, what is it that hinders a Christian's walk? They're not listening to the Lord. They're doing all the talking. I was at Bible college one time, and this uh, preacher that was there, he said, you know, there are some people that enjoy listening to the sound of their own voice. How many understand what I just said? In other words, they're just always talking. They're not listening. They're not hearing. Folks, that's one thing if you're like that to other people. But you don't want to be like that to God. And if God's trying to speak, and I'm not listening, it's going to hurt my Christian walk. If God's trying to speak, and you're not listening, it's going to hurt your Christian walk. Again, the second thing we learn about a Christian's walk is what prevents a Christian's walk. And what prevents it is a lack of hearing or a disobedience. Uh, turn, if you would, you can let go of Amos, very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter number 3. Let me give you a Bible example of somebody that was in disagreement with God. And it hindered their walking. Genesis chapter number 3 we know that Genesis 3 tells us God has just created this uh, heaven and the earth. God has formed it, and uh, God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. Genesis chapter number 3, we know that uh, Adam and Eve in that garden, 
It seems that every day they walked with God. It seems that every day those two talked with God. They enjoyed a living, vibrant fellowship with God. Just think they were in a perfect environment. There was no sin. There was no temptation. In fact, they only had one commandment to follow. Look at the previous chapter, Genesis 2 and verse 17. They had only one guideline when they were in that garden, Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That was the only command that they had to follow. That was pretty easy. Well, look there in Genesis chapter 3. Look there in verse number 4. While they're in that garden, the devil shows up. Genesis 3 and verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. So the serpent is questioning what God said. Verse 5, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So what's happening? They're in this garden. They're in this perfect place. They every day are enjoying a walk with God. Every day they're enjoying a talk with God. Till one day the devil shows up. And the devil begins to make fun, make light, question uh, 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 what God has said. The devil says, that's not true. You don't have to worry about that. That's not true. He said, in fact, if you take of this tree, you'll become wise. You'll have things that God's holding back from you. Look at verse 6, Genesis 3 and verse 6. And when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So they specifically disobeyed what God had told them to do. Well, what happened? Look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaf aprons to get sorry, fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now look at verse eight. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. There's our word walking. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this is going to be so simple. They disobeyed what God said. When they disobeyed what God said, they knew something had just gone wrong. What do they do? They realize we're naked. We've got to cover ourselves. And so they made aprons of fig leaves. And yet, even after covering themselves, they knew it still wasn't enough. So they went and hid. Now, follow this. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. But while God is walking, they're hiding. If God is walking and they are hiding, I think it's safe to say that they are not walking with God. Because God is walking and they're hiding. How many understand what I just said? You know what? prevents a Christian's walk when they disobey God. When they do something God said, don't do this. Or when they don't do something that God said, do this. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. God's walking. At least the voice of the Lord God is walking. 
and they're hiding. He said, preacher, I've been saved for many years. Okay, but do you have a Christian walk? Are you walking side by side as the Lord is directing your life? Or is there somewhere where some disobedience, where some sin has separated you from having that walk with God? They didn't wonder what they had done wrong. They knew exactly what they had done wrong. There's many a Christian, if you sat them down and said, how is it with you and the Lord? They just want to change that subject. They know they don't have a walk with the Lord. And they likely know where it happened, when it happened. I say we've looked, we're looking here at a Christian's walk. The first thing we notice is what precedes a Christian's walk, they have to be a believer. They have to have received Christ. But the second thing, what prevents a Christian's walk and it's disobedience. Somewhere God has said something that we're supposed to do and no, Lord, I'm not about to do that. Or God has said there's something that we're not to do and say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You don't need Genesis. Look there in Isaiah. Uh, middle of your Bible would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Look there in Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Uh, I know we've left Genesis. You're going to have to take my word for it. But if, if it, it says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. That's the morning. It seems that Adam and Eve every morning had a time where they walked with God. It seems every morning Adam and Eve had a time where they talked with God. But you know that morning of Genesis 3... The devil showed up that morning before their walk with God, before their talk with God. And I don't know if we're talking a few minutes or an hour, but how quickly their walk with God was stopped. Could I say this? The day before, they were still walking with God. The day before, they could still hear the voice of God. The day before, they had a fellowship with God. 24 hours later, God's still walking, but they're no longer walking. How quickly a Christian's walk can be hindered. How quickly a Christian's walk can be thwarted. Say, preacher, what? Is it that prevents a Christian's walk? The answer is a disobedience somewhere. You're there in Isaiah 59. Look there in verse number 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2, but. In other words, God's ear can hear anything. God's hand can reach into any situation. Verse 2, but. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins of his face from you that he will not hear. Pastor, what is it that prevents a Christian's walk? It, it's disobedience somewhere. And so folks, you don't, you don't want to get ahead of God. I don't want to get ahead of God. If I had another person here who was God, it wouldn't be too hard for me to get ahead of God, but when I get ahead of God, I can't hear God speak. Or if God is walking... 
and I lag behind God. I can't hear him speak. Folks, you've got to be right there with God. And when you're right there with God and God speaks to you and you hear what he says and God gives clear direction, there is a peace and a confidence when you're walking with God, but if you lag behind, in other words, he's told you some things to do, and you say, I'm not going to do it. That's hindered your walk with God. So God is speaking, Lord, what was that? Lord, pardon? Could you speak louder, Lord? And there's a lot of Christians are not hearing God. God's trying to tell them. God's trying to instruct them. God's trying to direct them. And they don't hear it because they're not walking with God. And there are some that they're just so bent on doing what they think they ought to do. They haven't asked God, God, is this your perfect... They are so far ahead of God that the Lord has already taken a turn and he's already a mile that way. And they're still trucking on in their own will and their own plan. And they're talking to people about how they have such a wonderful walk with... God is a mile the other direction. And so do you have a walk with God? It, what precedes it is getting saved. But what prevents it is not walking with him because somewhere he's told you something and you said, no, Lord, I've got my plan. I give you a third thing that we learn about a Christian's walk. Would you have there in, look there in Genesis 5, very first book of the Bible again, Genesis chapter 5. Now, Pastor, how did we get on this again? Because in 2 John that we started with, chapter 1 and verse 4, John is commending this woman. John is commending her children that they're walking in truth. We found out what precedes a Christian's walk. It's believing in Christ, getting saved. We found out what prevents a Christian's walk. Somewhere a disobedience. Either you're lagging behind, he's told you to do something, and you say, Lord, I got my own plan. Thank you very much. Or you're so far ahead of God, you are so completely convinced that you know what God's will is, and God's already taken a turn, and he's a mile down the other, and you can't hear God. I give you a third thing. We're in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I'd like to give you a third, if you're taking notes, what propels a Christian's walk? What helps it to go better? What encourages it? Genesis 5, look there in verse 22. Genesis 5 and verse 22. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. There's our word. Someone's walking with God again. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, I know that the years here are exactly perfect. We don't correct anything in this Bible. Say, Pastor, how could somebody live 300 years? This is before the flood. The environment, the canopy over the earth was completely different. People lived that long. And so we're introduced to someone here in Genesis 5 who is walking with God. Say, Preacher, who was it? Well, look at there in verse 21. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Do you know this man, look at verse 23, and then it'll make some sense. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. 
So here's a man before the flood, before Noah's flood. In fact, Noah, sorry, Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather, so the same lineage. Here we're introduced to a man named Enoch. Look there in verse 21. And Enoch lived 16 and 5 years. I think if you read those verses over and over again, you'll realize that for the first 65 years of Enoch's life, he was walking his own way. He was doing his own thing. He was living his own life. He just did what he wanted to do. There was no such thing as a walk with God, not for Enoch. Not the first 65 years. But something changed in Enoch's life when he was 65. Say, well, preacher, what? Well, look there, Genesis 5, verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, no mention of a walk there yet, and begat Methuselah. So Enoch and his wife, his wife's pregnant. They're about to give birth to a child. And as they get closer and closer to the delivery of their child, they began to talk amongst themselves, what are we going to name him? What should we name him? Oh, we could name him Adam. <laughs> could name him Enos. And they went through some names of people before. No, so this, I, I can't explain it, can't say how, but God somehow told them, you need to name that child Methuselah. And just out of the blue, just, just out, Methuselah, and his wife says, what's that? I guess we're supposed to name him Methuselah. Honey, where'd you get that name? He said, I don't know. Maybe God gave it to me. And she's Methuselah. Do you know anyone named that name? No. Methuselah, do you know what it means? No. And so they get on the internet, or they ask Google, what does Methuselah even mean? Do you know what that name Methuselah means? Some of you might have a footnote there somewhere in your Bible. But that name Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. Again, Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. And for the first time, Enoch has a sober look on his face. He said, honey, that's what that name means. God told us to name our boy when he is dead. It shall be sent. His wife said, Enoch, what, what it? What, what's it? What's coming when this boy dies? I don't know, dear. Yeah, but if God gave you the name, surely God would give you more details. Honey, all I know is God said, name this boy Methuselah. Now, you know what? Genesis 5 is interesting. In Genesis 5, you have a list of names. Not only do you have a list of names, you have a list of how long each one lived. <laughs> You have a third detail. You have how old they were when they gave birth to their son and how long they lived after giving birth. And so there is name after name after name in Genesis 5. Genesis 5 is called a genealogy. If you take that detail, when he is dead, then it shall come. Do you know the year that Methuselah died was Noah's flood? That's when this earth was covered completely with water. We know when that boy died, it was the judgment of this world by flood. But hold on. I don't think Enoch knew that. I don't think he had any idea what the it was. 
But I think he said to his wife, Honey, up till now we've lived life our way. Up till now we've done what we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it. We were the in charge of our own life. But, honey, God told us to name this boy when he is dead. Then it shall come. Whatever it is, dear, we better smarten up. We better live with a different priority in mind. Can I give you a third thing here is what propels a Christian's life? And you know what really gets a Christian who doesn't have any walk with God, gets serious about having a walk with God? What does that is God introduces some uncertainty in their life. Enoch's life is pretty well in order until God named that boy. You know, I have known a lot of Christians. I've known a lot of Christians that basically they had their own walk. They did their own thing. They, they, they planned their own life. They did everything that they wanted to do. And when God did occasionally try to give them an ah, I've got one life, thank you. Until God introduced an uncertainty in their life. For some, it's a health problem. You know, the some, they're, they're diagnosed with cancer. And though up to that point, they were basically living their life the way that they wanted, isn't it something how cancer makes somebody very sober very quickly? For some, it's not a health problem. For some, it's a wealth problem. Say, preacher, I never have a problem with wealth. I don't have any to have a problem with. For some, it, it's a money problem. It's a bankruptcy. And up to that point, they could buy what they want, when they wanted it. They were just fine until a crisis with their finances came. And all of a sudden, I'd better get serious about this walk with God. For some, it's a domestic problem. For some, it's a marriage problem. For some, it's a children problem. I'm saying to you, preacher, this Christian walk, how does God get somebody that doesn't even have a Christian walk to get serious about that Christian walk? I think it's an uncertainty. Again, what propels a Christian's walk? Often God uses uncertain events to get us to walk with God. You know, Again, it was this uncertainty about this boy. Now, we know that Methuselah lived longer than any person that's ever lived on this earth. And that just shows the grace of God. He let that boy live longer and longer and longer. But you know what? Enoch and his wife didn't know how long that boy would live. They didn't know if he died today. They didn't know if he died the end of the week. They didn't know if he died next month. They said, we better get serious today about having a walk with God because we don't know when this boy is going to check out of this world. Do you have a walk with God? It says Enoch did. But look where his walk started. Back there in Genesis 5, look there in verse 21, and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years. He lived for himself, by himself, the way he wanted and begat Methuselah when he was 65. Now look at verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. You know, his walk with God didn't happen until that boy was born. 
And until he realized the meaning of that boy's name that God gave it, and he said to his wife, we better get serious about God. We just better do what God wants us to do. Uh, folks, I know this is so simple. I understand that. If you're saved, that should have began a walk with God. But did it? Is God trying to tell you, do this, don't do that? Are you listening? Say, preacher, I just, I just soon run my own life. Okay. That's what Enoch did for the first 65 years until God introduced an uncertainty. Pastor, there's a lot of uncertainty in my life. Could it be that God's trying to get you serious about a walk with God? Some people don't get serious till they're beyond fixing what's happening. God in his graciousness put an uncertainty into Enoch's life just to get him serious about walking with God. You know, there's a number of people in the Bible who would say the same. Samson. We recognize Samson, strongest man in the world. Samson wasn't very serious about walking with God. So what does God do? God lets the Philistines arrest him, bind him, cut his hair, burn out his eyes. And Samson's on that grinding wheel. And now for the first time in Samson's life, he gets serious about a Christian walk. Do you know when I think about many of the kings of Israel, they weren't serious until the enemy nation was encamped outside of their city. Then all of a sudden they got very serious about God. I think of uh, Esther. You know, we read the book of Esther and we're really fascinated how Esther, how she became the queen of that king of 127 provinces. We're fascinated with the story. But could I challenge you, I don't think Esther had much of a walk with God in those opening chapters. Oh, she was of royalty. She married the king. She had everything that she could ask for. I don't think she had much of a walk with God until Haman put out the decree that all the Jews were to be killed. And Mordecai said, Esther, you won't escape this. They're going to find out you're a Jew, and they're going to kill you too. Boy, how she got serious. And she said, have the people fast for three days. Then we're going to see what we can do. She got serious when an uncertainty was introduced into her life. I think of uh, the man James. Uh, there are a number of James in the Bible. We know that there was Peter, James, and John, but we know that Jesus earthly mother was Mary. Mary had other children. We know that one of those children was James, and we don't have time to look at it. But James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James didn't believe. John chapter 7 verse 5 said that. Neither did his brethren believe in him in Christ. But you know when Jesus was taken and crucified, that whole thing, that really woke him up. Folks, I'm not trying to scare you. God can do whatever God wants to do. But if you aren't serious about your walk with God, walking with God, not ahead of God, not behind God, not trucking your way and the Lord's taking a turn, and he's a mile already gone, if you're serious about your walk with God, God will direct your steps. 
But if you're not serious, the Lord has endless uncertainties that he could introduce into your life. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Look there in Genesis 5, one more time, verse 22. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter... Genesis chapter 5 and verse 22. Why am I... Try to get... Genesis 5, 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Question, question, question. How old was Enoch when he got serious about his walk with God? Help me. 65. That verse says that he walked with God 300 years. That means he walked with God until he was 365. How many follow that math? That's pretty easy math. Started his walk with God at 65. He walked with God for the next 300 years. So he walked with God until he was 365. Look at the very next verse, Genesis 5 and verse 23. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Amazing. <laughs> Say, preacher, what's amazing? When he started his walk with God, he never stopped. He walked with God until God took him home. You know any Christian that got saved? And they just hit the road running. They just lived for the Lord, loved God, thrilled about God. And then something happened. They got disappointed with God. They got disappointed with people. And they stopped their walk with God. Not Enoch. When Enoch at 65 got serious about his walk with God, it never stopped. It never changed. You say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Why is it so important that I have a walk with God? Hebrews 11, last, last text I'll have you turn to. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is known as a great chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter number 11 would you look there in verse number 5, Hebrews 11, verse number 5? Because this now is a New Testament reference to that man, Enoch. Hebrews 11, 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Can I give you the last detail if you write this down? What is the preciousness of a Christian's walk? Preacher, why is it such a big deal? Why does it matter if I have a walk with God? Well, we've already seen a couple things. You'll get to hear God. You'll get to hear his instructions. You won't be guessing what he said. You won't be so bound and determined that you have totally abandoned the direction he's going. But you know what it says about Enoch here in Hebrews 11, verse 5? Look at it again, if you would. End of the verse. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I'm sure as God looked down on the earth at those days, saw many people doing their own thing, he looked down at this one man, Enoch. And as God looked at Enoch's life, God was pleased. What a great testimony to have a life that is pleasing to God. I wonder, do you want to put a smile on God's face? Then you need to decide that the rest of your life, that you are going to walk with God, not get ahead of God, not lag behind God, 
Not take your own path when God's going another direction. Preacher, what did Enoch do all those years? The Bible gives us a hint what he did in Jude. It says he was a preacher of righteousness. He just tried to get helping other people get on track for God. We started in 2 John. John, when he went to that church where this unnamed woman was, he said, I'm so blessed when I got to meet you and see your walk with God. He said, I'm so blessed to know that your children have a walk with God. Could I ask you tonight or this morning, do you have a walk with God? You couldn't if you're not saved. It starts the moment that you trust Christ as Savior. But you couldn't continue in your walk with God if God's trying to tell you something and you're not listening. We have seen that Enoch had a walk with God. It took something pretty serious to get his attention. Might it be that God has to use something serious to get your attention? Don't wait. Live a life that's pleasing to God.